Welcome to the NLPcourses.com show, where we push past the hype and pull back the velvet curtains of creating a successful life with NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. Diving into physiology, neuroscience and linguistic programming so that NLP becomes a practical tool at home and in your career. Moving beyond the techniques so that you can make a name, make money or make a real difference to people's lives. Tune in weekly if you care more than others. Think wisely as we set out on our quest to uncover the secrets of successful people from all walks of life. Make sure you head over to nlpcourses.com to subscribe and receive our free newsletter and other goodies. Here is your host, NLP Master Trainer, John Cassidy Rice. Hello and welcome. My name is John Cassie Rice. I have the pleasure to be your host for this podcast. And I'm very excited with this one. I've got uh, Roger Terry, who's one of my mentors. And as somebody who has been very generous over the years with his knowledge and his passion and has really contributed to the field of NLP. Uh, a highly respected NLP master trainer and been working in the educational field. He's published book NLP for Teachers, amongst many other books. Hello, Roger. Welcome. Hi, John. It's really great to be here. Lovely to talk to you again. Haven't spoken to you for a little while, but uh, this is. Uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Excellent, excellent. Thanks for joining us. It's. I'm, I'm very excited about this. So, it's a pleasure. And you, you've worked in many different fields, contributed from, um, from the sciences, uh, spiritual side, education. So, what might be useful for somebody, the rare people who haven't come across you yet, is. <laughs> Could you give us a little bit of background, where you come from and what you've been involved in? Yeah, so if I start early on, I'm a, my, my background, my, my training originally is I'm a biochemist, microbiologist, so I have a science background, and I think that's influenced the way I've come up with these soft, what we might call soft skills, uh, NLP in particular. I like to connect it to uh, what's going on in your body you know, how, and how that works and your biochemistry, because we're just a bag of chemicals and bones, really. <laughs> yes, it feels like that sense, you know and you know we can get control over that and that can give us great control over our life so that's where I come from that's kind of my the thrust of my way of thinking about stuff and about NLP and the other things I do I, well, I've run businesses uh, worked for utility companies in the past and uh, for the last 22 years the last time I had a proper job was 22 years ago I've been I've been working in the NLP field and it's been pretty diverse. Uh, everything from uh, big multinational companies like IBM and McDonald, right down to schools and education. And I have a particular um, passion for education and having <laughs> and putting these skills into places where people can really make use of them. Some of the, as you know, John, some of the NLP skills that we have are incredibly useful. If you're in a class with 30, 30 children, then you need some. You need some management skills which are beyond just setting teaching objectives and things like that. But they're the, the interpersonal skills at a higher level that allow you to really work with an audience and understand your audience and actually pull everybody together and keep that you know, good level of rapport going so that people actually learn. Excellent. And have you got an example of that? Uh, so if we've got some people, some teachers listening, maybe somebody working with the groups, what would be a good tip for them to... Uh, so I think one of the, the, key th- the key things in a, groups, in a group scenario, the simplest thing that you can say to teachers is that, you know, you need to get the class doing the same thing for a little bit of time early on. 
when we synchronize, that could be something to do with your bodies, it could be something to do with speaking, but something that will get everybody doing the same thing because that builds group rapport. So, could that be as simple as saying stand up? Would that be as simple as saying stand up? You know, you could have a few things where people are putting their hands up to answer questions. That's always a, that's always good. And I know that teachers do this, but sometimes it's not done deliberately with the with the aim of creating connection in the group. And that's what you want to have the intent. In some some in some ways, you know, <clears throat> actually, what's your intent when you start off with? If you walk into the classroom with an intent of getting the group connected and then doing a few simple things, then that's going to work much better than just walking into the classroom and hoping everything's going to go to plan. And as you know, as a trainer, um, training adults, you know, you have to have a bit of a plan because they're all over the place and children and teenagers even more so. So some actions. My preference, one the thing that I like to do, which I've taken um, from the educational kinesiology field, is a simple five-step tune-up, which takes you through aligning your left and right brain, doing a little bit of cross-crawl, a little bit of bilateral movements, and sitting in a, in a posture with your legs crossed and your hands connected. Um, that's a really useful thing to do because that really syncs everybody together. If you can connect their breathing, if you can get everybody breathing together, tell a joke, sing a song. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to sing for us, No, I'm not going to sing for you. That will also, that's, if you're a singing teacher, then that's great. So that will also help bring people together. So I think that's the, mo- you know, the most important step you know, is to actually practice, practice that and practice. So you get really skilled at bringing the group together. Once you've got the group together, then you know, you've got a, you've got a, a way of being, of having them be malleable and suggestible, which means that you know, they're going to be more open to learning and you're creating that learning state. If you've so that, if you've so got half, taken, oh sorry, <laughs> so that would be taking five oh. minutes, maybe at the beginning of the lesson, to get everybody. Maybe not even five minutes maximum is all you, is what you need. Just to, you know, once you've greeted the pupils in and made that personal connection with one to one, you know, hello Sarah, hello Michael, you know, that's always good to do because that's the personal connection. Then, you know, some some small activity, five minutes at the beginning, can actually save you twenty minutes during the lesson of of bringing people back together. Excellent. And there are a lot of other things that you can do in terms of how you use the stage in the classroom. So, you really, if you're a teacher, you've got to think your classroom is your stage, and you're you're at the you're at the on the front of the stage. People are watching you; they're looking at what you do. So, everything, every action that you do, is going to have an effect. How your classroom looks. <laughs> this is something I cover in NLP for teachers. How your classroom looks. If you go and sit in a student's place and go, what does it look like? You know, I've seen some classrooms that when I've been observing where a, a teacher's had a desk in the middle in front of the whiteboard or there or the blackboard or whatever it is, piled up with books. And so they're kind of standing behind it, almost hiding behind the desk and the books. And the books are untidy. And an untidy front of the classroom is going to create untidy minds. So you need to have symmetry left and right, and it needs to be nice and clean and clear. And you're the central person, so... It's not your PowerPoint or your other things that are important. It's you that are important because you're the human being that's going to deliver whatever it is. Yeah, so, so everything's should, a communication. Everything's a communication. So you should put yourself front and center and think about how you're going to do it. Where are you going to, where are you going to do certain things from? Excuse me. 
certain things from in the classroom. So my advice to teachers is look at your stage and pick some places that you can work from. So, for instance, you might be a teacher that uh, tells stories, for instance. That might be a way of, that's another way of, of creating rapport. So if you're going to use that as a device, make sure that you always tell the story from the same place in the classroom because that creates a connection between that space and what's going to happen. And you know what happens as soon as you say, once upon a time, or I've got to tell you a story, everybody shifts into that state of receiving a story. If you always do that in one place, then just merely moving to that place will create that state. And this is the subtleties of using your classroom as a stage and thinking about where you do things from. Excellent. So we've got some really good tips there for... The, the teachers and people presenting what if you're a student what would be one of the key skills a student would possess one of the key skills for a student is actually <coughs> to relax so if you you really want to think about yeah, and i talk about this in uh, my e-course that's uh, that's available you really want to be able to manage your own brainwaves so you know you've got four basically four brainwave sets you've got beta brainwaves which are the kind of buzzy brainwaves when you're doing maths and when you're thinking of lists and when you're <laughs> really active then you've got alpha brainwaves uh, which are where you're more open and more relaxed that gives you that gives you also a shift into an into your parasympathetic nervous system which where, where you'll be more open less adrenaline going through your body so so my advice to students and to teachers actually the more relaxed you can be in a learning environment the more open your mind's going to be, the more information you'll be able to absorb. It's not about snoring and sitting <laughs> asleep, but it's that relaxed. Two good words to think about are relax and focus. So can I be relaxed yet focused as a, as a, as a way of kind of labelling a state for, for, your, uh, for your own well-being? And then, it, then you've got lots of other things that come into play. How are you going to take your notes? Do you like to do mind maps? Mind maps are a great way of connecting information together. There are all sorts of ways that you can use your mind in a way that's going to help you collect, collate and store the information so that when you do get to an exam, you've got it available. And that's the, that's the, <coughs> that's the trick. That's the, the trick is to do work before you get to the exam, not 24 hours before you get to an exam. If you set mind so that it's able to collect and integrate and collect information as you go, your revision will be easier, your exams will be easier, you'll be in a better state to do that kind of critical piece. You'll get better grades. Excellent. So studying is a key skill then to develop there. Studying is a key skill. I mean, it's unfortunate that I think, you know, in a lot of schools, a lot of education attempts, we don't teach people to learn. You're kind of expected, well, You've got some sort of bucket in your head and we just pour the stuff in and then it's, you've got to organise it. But actually, there are some, there are some good ways to uh, organise things and to find out how you learn best. You might be a person that learns best by writing lots of linear notes and then, then reading them. <laughs> you could be a person that learns best by, by drawing pictures or creating mind maps. You might be a person that learns best by doing things. These are all, or, you, or you might have a combination of these things. And in fact... If you put all of these things together, then what you've got is lots of connections into that bit of information. You've got visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. And if you can connect all of those three things up, your opportunity, your chance to recall 
is way better when you get into a place where you are perhaps a little bit stressed. Yeah. Like, um, that's where people lose it. You know, they, they, they learn in one sense. And when exam, it all goes. Yes. That, that stress really is a killer for learning. It's absolutely a killer. And when you, you know, as I say, you know, I come from a biological biochemistry background. And if you just start, if you start to think about, well, what happens when we get into stress? Well, the first thing that happens is you're getting ready to either fight something or run away. Yes. And, you know, the next, the next thing to think about is, okay, well, where do you, where's your blood going to go? Well, if you're going to run away or fight something, your blood's going to go to your muscles. So one of the first things that happens when we hit stress is the blood begins to move away from our brain. And it moves away from our frontal lobes, which is our emotional management and judgment and our thinking. It moves away from that, that neocortex on the outside of our brain. So as soon as we hit stress, our brain function drops. It can get so bad or so you can get into such a stressful state that actually you can't hear things. Right. Your, your hearing starts to shut down because your body's going, we don't need all these high functions. All we need is the ability to move. So, you know, building your ability to stay out of stress in a more relaxed and focused state is, is, is called resilience, basically. Yeah. That's how resilient and it's not something that happens by accident it's not something that uh, is just there it's something that you can learn to do with a number of strategies okay can you share a strategy with us so well an easy way an easy way to um to, to give your body a signal to move from stress or or let's say flight and fight into your which is your sympathetic nervous system into your parasympathetic nervous is to is to just take note of your breathing yes and if you as soon as you put your focus if you want to experiment with this now with your listeners if you just stop for a moment and put your attention on your breathing what happens is that immediately your breathing slows down and as your breathing slows down that's the signal to your body that actually we're out of the stress situation if you get your breathing to six breaths a minute it will lower your blood pressure so there's a whole lot of things that are connected to your brain. So it's the easiest and most, the easiest, quickest and, and most useful thing that you can do is to, is to become more conscious of your breathing and then begin to use that to help you compensate for, the, for a stress situation and to give your body signals to change the chemicals in your body. Excellent. So if you sat down at the beginning of every uh, study session and just yeah. took 30 seconds to be aware of your breathing, that would be... Yeah. Yeah, that would be excellent. And if you if you did a breath which was which was two times longer out than in, then that would also really you'll find that a very calming breath to do. It also clears toxins from your system as well, just by the by. But that breathe breathe in for one and out for two, or in for three and out for six. Well, you have to do it to your lung size, and you can you just have a bit of a practice. If yes. you did two three minutes of that before you started your study session, you'd move yourself into a much more open state. Your blood pressure would come down. Your, your brain waves would start to to come out of that very buzzy place into a more calm and relaxed and focused place. Excellent. Any any tips for taking information in? That's all to do with preparation. I think uh, my 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 favourite method would be to say to people, you know, learn mind mapping. <laughs> when I was, um, I just to. to when I was doing my biochemistry degree back in the 1980s, I was 
there's, there's so much information that you need to absorb for something like that, you know, including, you know, being able to write a two and a half hour essay on a ribosome, which is a tiny part of the cell. <laughs> I was walking around, I was walking around the, the, the university library, um, going, I think I might give this up. I don't know how I'm going to hold all this information. And I found Tony Bazan's first course on mind mapping. It's called Use Your Head. <clears throat> and, um, from that point in 1985, I've been a absolute fan of mind mapping. It, now, there I, might be some people not come across mind mapping. Yeah, it's, it's true. Describe what a mind map is. A mind map is um, a way of connecting information together. You start with a central, it's a bit, you can start with a central uh, topic. So it might be that we're going to do, um, I don't know, NLP or something like that. We think, okay, what are the four? What are the four or five key parts of that? And we might say, well, it's communication, it's change. And there, there's a, there, so they would produce their next branches, and then you can spar, you can move out from that. Now, there are specific ways of doing mind maps, which you, there are plenty of books that uh, you can go to. Um, there are some disciplines that make them work. But basically what you're doing is you're creating neural connections in your brain. It's almost like you're mapping a, a, neural part, a set of neural pathways and because our brains work by association, not in, not in list form, it, it's really good for, for learning. What I ended up with in my university degree was I ended up with one book with about 40 mind maps in it. And actually, they all became pictures. And we're much more able to remember a picture than we are a list of words. You can try that for yourself, you know, a bit of an experiment. So what you can then do is you can just keep looking at the pictures until you've got them until you've got them memorized when you go into the exam for a particular topic get a bit of scrap paper start your mind map and you'll probably get about 60 percent quite quickly and then as you write your essays and as you write your questions what happens is your brain by association will come up with the other things you quickly plot those on your mind map excellent but that's a way of working in an exam that will allow you to access information in a really cool way, actually. So it's, it's very interesting. If you're using mind maps for when you're studying, and then yeah. you practice reproducing those mind maps from memory, and then yeah, when you're absolutely. in the exam, you've got to take a couple of minutes just to draw out the mind maps. You have all your notes in front of you. Pretty much. You'll, have a, you'll, get, you'll get at least 60% back, and the rest you'll get by the other kind of 30% you'll get by association. And if you can get back 80 to 90% of the information on a particular topic, well, you're going to get a high grade. Yes. Without a doubt. So, you know, our visual memory, our visual memory is, you know, they say a picture's worth 10,000 words. Well, it's because we can hold a lot of simultaneous information that way. Yes. Some people might say, oh, well, I don't get pictures. Well, it's only practice. It's, you know, we all have this capability. Uh, it's just a question of practicing with our senses. Excellent. We've managed to cover a lot of information in a very short period of time. So some skills for teachers and presenters, as well as for students. And so if somebody was interested, you mentioned this e-course on on learning. So so one of the things I'm doing now is I'm working on uh, running some e-courses up. And uh, the first one of those is available. It's on evolutionecourses.com. It's uh, five modules, five short modules, around about 15 to 20 minutes each. Each module... It starts off with how to set some outcomes specifically around working and doing revision. It's called Smart Revision Tactics, actually. That's the name of the e-course. The first section talks about how to set, set yourself some really good goals per topic so that you're, you're working to a plan. 
Then we have a look at how your brain works in broad terms and what you can do to improve that to keep your brain in a good place. Then we look at how your mind works, how your memory works, an outline of how, uh, and it's actually a model more than a theory. It's a model of how you how you collect information with your senses and where the information disappears to where you need to be able to make some effort to make more connections so that at the end of the day, you can retrieve what you need. Excellent. And then talk about memory systems and uh, a couple of other things and some uh, and some and some models to help you format information so <laughs> if you have to write those dreaded essays about compare and contrast then there's a way of doing that with a visual map which is fabulous and about five other visual maps you can use too so there are lots of ways that you can design your own learning strategy so the idea of the smart revision tactics is that you go through the modules and you figure out what works for you, and you can start to put that together. So at the end of the day, you'll have some strategies for yourself in terms of how you can approach taking an exam and doing your revision, and actually having a bit of fun. Excellent. Well, it sounds comprehensive. It's comprehensive, and you know, as, as much as you can make it in short, a short course. Excellent. If you give us the, the website address again, and then I'll also put yep. it on my website. Yeah, so the, the website you need to go to is evolutionecourses.com. Excellent. And if somebody wanted – oh, sorry. I was going to say, in addition to that, there are, a few, there are two or three free things which I did as webinars as well. So there's one on stress and there's one on saying no and, uh, and uh, another one there. I can't remember that one is. So there's some free resources. So you can, you can tap into those as well. You're most welcome to have those. Excellent. Go. And if anyone's got any questions and they wanted to contact you, what would be the best way to do that? They can contact me by email. I'm happy to people to email me. I'll give you my email address, which is roger.terry at evolutiontraining.com. I won't necessarily answer those emails within hours, but, you know, I will, I will get to them. So I'm really happy to answer emails and questions people have. It'll be a pleasure. Excellent. And I'd highly recommend content, Roger. I know he's a busy man, but he always gets back to you. And he's very generous with his knowledge and his passion he has for helping people. So thanks ever so much, Roger. It's been a total pleasure. Lovely to talk to you and thank you. And uh, thank you for all those people that are listening. And I hope you get, get something out of it. If you've got any questions, get in touch. Excellent. Excellent. And what we've been doing recently on the podcast is sharing our information. Uh, the NLP community has a wealth of information. And when we get together like this, it makes a real difference. So it until does. next time. <laughs> thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. And I'll see you next week. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the NLPCourses.com podcast show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. And make sure to head over to NLPCourses.com to subscribe to our newsletter. This will ensure you're kept fully up to date on the latest in-depth NLP topics of interest. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes on neuro-linguistic programming and beyond.